0: When you're fighting a problem, after a reasonable amount of time, simply ask, is that problem even worth fighting?
1: Hi, I'm Nils Spinney, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development, one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Binya, and today my guest is Shalish Mangal. Shalish, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nils. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I want to dig into all things leadership, but first, would you share with me and the audience where you are working today, your role, and the company that you're working for?
0: Sure. I work for a company called Rombi Corporation. This is a Santa Clara headquartered company. We are into a visibility space, and this visibility is gathered through a bunch of sensors that we deploy in the field. We are primarily a data company where we collect our sensor data, and then we process this data to harness data intelligence, and then ultimately our customers use this data intelligence to make day-to-day decisions, trends, analysis, and then ultimately
1: predictions for the future. Can you give us an example of the type of industries that you work in? Sensors could be literally attached to anything these days. So what are some of the use cases for the, the solution?
0: So while we cover a wide variety of solutions, where we find the best sort of uh, fit for our solutions is supply chain. So when you have logistics and real-time monitoring, as things move from the raw material to the finished goods, and then from there to the final distribution till the last mile, we provide the complete end-to-end visibility. Also, we have warehouse visibility as well. So You can provide complete soup to nut solution using our sensors and devices in the platform to gather this data about the quality, about the movement, about the different type of delays, conditions involved in this entire supply chain, and then visibility around this. And then uh, subtle things that come out of these visibilities, the, the outliers, the, the congestion as we see in the supply chain, especially it's very relevant in today's day and age. And we have seen many of this basically getting impacted right now, especially as we're going into holiday season, becomes a lot more relevant at this point.
1: So Is it safe to say that you literally know where the entire global supply chain stands at any one point in time, given the fact that you have all this data and you're feeding this back to your clients to help them make better decisions? Absolutely. At least the part of this supply chain that we
0: handle, that's a very good way to to put it. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's just fascinating visibility at that level. We've all been dealing with, in some form or another, the global supply chain challenges that 2021 have brought. And it's really interesting to hear what kind of tech is behind that to help either alleviate, to change, just to know where things are. So that's super cool. Thank you so much for sharing. All right, so let's rewind the clock a little bit and would love to hear about how you got into your first leadership position.
0: I've always been part of the startup ecosystem. I always love the energy, how you get involved, you get to wear multiple hats. And as I was going through one of my startups, basically, we were working with a very strict quality considerations that a startup had at the time. And what we realized was the quality space was was really, really sort of compromised in, in such a way that the tools were very archaic, the approaches were, were very long, and nothing was really suiting to the need of basically innovate fast, as we have gone from uh, six months projects to three months to a, maybe an agile project can be delivered in a month. The quality tools were so difficult to get. So at that point, me and a friend of mine, basically, we started putting together a plan, so to speak, before we knew it, basically, we were already on our way to build the prototype Of that, and that's the place where my journey into my own sort of startup ecosystem started. At that time, I was working in the capacity of senior architect, being a technologist, basically. I always looked at product development as one of my forte. And that's how, basically, I started as a co founder of of this company. From there, I was working basically in the same capacity, my title remained the same. A friend of mine, basically, I started a company with, was a CEO. And then we brought in a CTO, basically, just to sort of have the, the right ranks in the company. And then a CTO stayed for about a year, and then he decided to move on for, for something else. And then the position remained unfilled, basically, for a long time. And after about a four years, we had a product, we had good set of customers. And me and my, my founder, we were returning back from a meeting. And on the way back, we were driving together and we were just chatting. He's like we have not had our CX position in technology for a long time. What do you think about that? I kept talking for some time and I saw he was completely silent, didn't hear anything back from him. And that was a weekend, basically, that was Friday, we came back. Monday morning, I go to our website and I look at my name as the title has changed from architect to CTO and VP of engineering. (laughs) That's awesome. So it's sort of a role I was playing, which I unknowingly had assumed to play but didn't really worry about the titles and that's I think one of the key lessons for me to learn and I think for anybody and if your listeners to learn as well That titles basically are, are pretty much for namesake you do what you got to do and you sort of get into those shoes and, and start uh, playing the responsibility.
1: I love it yeah never wait to do the job ahead of you until you get to that job right? And that is perfect example right there. And from senior architect to VP of engineering and CTO might sound like, wow, that's a gigantic climb. And, oh, it was your own company and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is you were doing the job the entire time. You put the work in, you put the the layers down, you did all the key things. It was simply a recognition thing that happened at that point in time. That's really, really awesome. And a great piece of advice. Don't worry about the title. Just focus on the work. All right, so when we caught up right before we were going to go live here, we were talking about some core leadership philosophies that you have and have learned through your experience and all the companies and all the different projects and things that you've worked on. So we'd love for you to share with the audience your core leadership philosophies and some advice we'll get into around each one of these. So where should we start? I think one
0: of the very strong sort of principles that, that I feel and something that is getting missed out, especially from our new generation that is coming in. This notion of, and you'll hear it in, in many different ways, some people call it being burnt, others will call it basically a work-life balance. In my opinion, I think I think many of these, these things basically have been blown out of proportion. Let me start with, with the, the notion of being burnt. The notion of being burnt is, is overplayed many times. I've seen people who work 20 hours a day and still are very, very happy and successful, right? And then the people who basically will exceed like two, three hours from their eight hour day and then get very bogged down or, or sort of start complaining about this, right? And and if you look sort of slightly deeper inside the, the two different scenarios, what comes out is, is that people are not able to drive their satisfaction from the work that they're doing. The fulfillment of the self and being and being able to achieve something is not connected with their work and hence becomes a burden. Same things happens when you you talk about the the work-life balance, right? And I'm not denying that the work is not important or family is not important. I think those criteria are there, should be there and are important, right? But how do you prioritize what I think is something that, that you need to decide. But it ultimately boils down to being able to feel fulfilled in the thing that you do. And that's where I think the whole notion sort of comes down to that the feeling of burnt is because you're feeling that the work you're doing is a burden. Somebody is making you do something or your satisfaction is not connected with the hard work that you're doing. So my first sort of piece of advice is bridge that gap. The gap that exists between what you do and the satisfaction that you achieve, right? We oftentimes see that the fun, pleasure and work are separated things. And that I think, I think a misleading sort of conception that I foresee. An example would be many companies basically start looking at giving you extra time off or take one day extra or three days weekends or four day weekends. Uh, Companies, big companies like Google, Twilio are all basically joined this bandwagon to give you that extra day off. Is time of the really the thing that you're looking for, right? I would sort of argue around it and say if you connect the dots together well, the satisfaction that you drive from the work you do, you make those eight hours count towards towards your personal fulfillment. And that makes you a human being that is contributing to something. You're you're working towards a cause, and that basically will, will give you a lot more happiness than just having this feeling of burnt out, right? Now, that is not to say that that. Time off is not important. I think uh, recharging yourself is very important. The change of context is very important. Doing things that that you are energetic and want to do outside, outdoors, very important. I'm not denying the value of those things, but putting it in perspective, I think you can do both much better when you are fulfilled at work. You're actually more excited and enthusiastic when you go for that bike ride or go for that run or go for that hike. Then you are basically, when you are, you're so bored, you're so out of your
1: mind at the work. And then when you go, it's like, okay, this is well-ridden basically. So I think you bring up a really great point. And the fact that burnout is simply the result of not being fulfilled in your work. So let's talk about fulfillment a little bit. And what does fulfillment mean to you in the context of what you were just describing with burnout?
0: There are very different philosophies that I've heard about in, in fulfillment. And oftentimes, we lay the emphasis of the fulfillment on the ultimate result that comes out in the form of a success or a failure. And that in my mind, I think is is a bit flawed because many of these factors are not in your control. So for example, if you're working towards, let's say, a six months long project, you will not know the result in uh, end of the six months. And let's say in fifth month, the project get canned, right? And you're like, my entire work is gone out of the window, right? And, And that's an important feeling. I'm not denying that. But I think the real sort of value in this is every day when you get home, do you feel fulfilled? right? Have you executed a task with the same zeal, with the same quality that you could have done your best, right? And there will be some good days, some bad days, but barring all of that, I think end of the day, if you sort of just take a deep breath, think about, have you done the justice that this task needed or you have not, right? And that is the level of fulfillment. So you can be fulfilled every single day, every week, you can have targets, you can have things that you want to achieve, right? And then when you do, and when you get there, patting yourself on the back and say, job well done, right? So you don't need an external fulfillment factor. You can all be basically self-fulfilled if you keep yourself aligned, the goals that you have personally, the organization have, and then you keep your team
1: basically informed with what you think and what, how you're doing about it. Excellent, excellent points there. There's what you're hitting on, I think, is the difference between the focus of control being on you and within you and coming from your organization. If it's always coming from your organization as far as what your work means, what you have to do, you know, what you accomplish, what is success, what is failure, you're kind of always gonna be disappointed. But if it comes from within you, and you determine what is success and what is failure and the timeframes that you look at it shorter term, as just evidenced by that example, then you have an awful lot more control and you can feel fulfilled on a more consistent basis over time. Is that a fair assessment?
0: It is. And, and it is not just about professional settings. I mean, this philosophy even rolls into your personal life as well. Many a times we blame us. Ours- For things that are not in our control. For our kids, basically, how much we contribute to them, how much time we are spending, is it a quality time, how much time we are giving to our spouses, or something that the finances we are managing, many things that happen in life, basically. The fulfillment comes from the fact that you have a plan, you work on the plan, and then you are ready for the consequences. Ultimate success or failure doesn't only have to be the drivers for your happiness. We oftentimes hold other people responsible for our happiness. For example, okay, somebody did bad to me and hence I'm sad, right? That statement is so flawed by itself because how can you have somebody else have your remote control, right? If you keep it with you, there's so much more you can do within yourselves. And then then you can actually influence your surroundings and have them basically perform as well because you yourself are so contented.
1: Wonderful clarification there. And, you know, I would pose this question to the audience to think about as you get it, perhaps, you know, maybe when you have a little bit of space or time to yourself to think about what has to happen in order for me to feel fulfilled. And if you write down a list of things, just as if I asked you that in a coaching conversation, for example, and you write that down, you look at those list of things, then like Shalesh is saying here, determine which ones are things that you actually control and which ones are things that are going to be done by other people which you do not control. And I would venture a guess, based on having done this kind of work with lots of my clients over many years, there are going to be a lot of things on your list that are outside of your control. And the key is to shift it to something that you do control so that you can get that ultimate fulfillment feeling at any point in time and not waiting for an external factor. Excellent point there. So when we're talking about fulfillment and aligned with the work. Now, a large part of the professional world probably doesn't feel terribly fulfilled with their jobs. Like I've been there. I'm sure you've been there at times. So what advice would you have for somebody who's thinking like, wait a second, like fulfillment in this job, like not possible. I have, you know, maybe some other aspiration way down the line or something else. What can I do? in this moment, in this job where I don't really feel fulfilled right now, but I know based on what you just said, that feeling sounds kind of good. I kind of want a little bit of that. I want to have some passion. I want to do things well, but I don't know what to do. What advice would you share with someone in that situation? Very good question.
0: I think that brings me to my second point also is basically think big. I think many times we become so task focused that we miss the jungle for the trees, for example, right? So I'm given this, let me just do this. Even if I don't agree with it, I'll do it grudgingly because I'm asked to do so. And many times we miss, forget or don't care about the big picture. It's very important to keep the big picture in mind to see What is the objective? What is the purpose? And if you align with the objective and the purpose, the task suddenly becomes a lot more interesting. And be it basically cleaning the floor, right? If you understand that the purpose of cleaning this floor is to make sure that we have the best impression for somebody who's visiting so that they can have a good opinion about ourselves, that that mopping the floor is certainly not such a bad activity as such, right? So if you align yourself and and extend the boundaries of this task based on the intelligent view that you have on the task, I think will change how you perceive something. So I can almost always guarantee, and in fact, I'd like to challenge basically the audience that give me a situation where you don't feel fulfilled and would and love to have a conversation around how we can turn it around and sort of see the point beyond, Right every aspect of our life basically has some meaningful connection and if it is not then you get out of it completely right
1: then it is not the right place for you and that's okay if it truly is not the right environment and there's no chance of finding fulfillment even taking your advice there it's okay to leave (laughs) we're not we're not beholden to any one organization or any one role our entire lives we are in control right we you have to be the ceo of your career We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. Curious from your standpoint, when you are in the details so much of the time, how do you pull out and so that you keep the big picture in mind. Is this like a daily routine? Is this something you do once a week And a look back? what's the, What are some of the mechanisms that you've used that have been effective for pulling you out of the weeds to get this bigger picture view and refocus on why you're doing this work?
0: From the planning stage itself, you can put a framework in, in place, basically. Specifically, when you're going from strategy to execution, and this is a place where I've seen this oftentimes get missed, that when we're strategizing, we choose one path. And when we are walking the path, we completely forget the strategy itself. We basically continue down the path. And as we run into the the roadblocks, we spend and waste so much time in in getting the roadblocks off. Then to basically look at it's like, can we just step back and see there is another way to go around? And I've seen many teams basically end up spending a lot of time in this. I think one thing is to just keep a framework in mind and and doing your periodic check-ins. But even if you miss it, the very simple rule of thumb that you can keep for yourself is that when you're fighting a problem, after a reasonable amount of time, simply ask, is that problem even worth fighting? Right. What is the output of that problem, basically? And, and can this be achieved by any other way? Right. So, again, it's it sounds more like a cliche, but many times I've come across people who keep fighting. Right. And we get so bogged into that problem because we are, we are all sort of intellectuals. Right. We, we love solving problems. But in that zeal of solving problem, it becomes a technical challenge with very little or no business outcome because it has already been so delayed, right? So that is, is my sort of one factor that I look at, is that even worth fighting? So that's one. Second is, I always think to myself that there are many, many more smarter people than I am today in, in the world. Somebody must have done something about it, Right. So collaborate, find this, basically ask questions, right? Don't be shy, put it on the forums, ask people. Basically there is no stupid question as we say, just go around, find out. I mean, LinkedIn is a great resource, Quora or or any of these uh, Stack Overflow. A lot of these websites provide a lot of good people who have gone through this experience and they'll be more than happy to provide some idea, some
1: suggestion. So go and ask, go collaborate with with other people. That helps. Love that. Is it even worth fighting for? and collaborate with others. And as you said, like there's really not a whole lot that's terribly new, especially from a lot of these problems and challenges you might be facing. Somebody else has been through this or is going through it right now. And the two of you might be able, or two groups or whatever the the context is, might be able to look at things a little bit differently. But that worth fighting one is a great one because nothing quite as powerful of a question when you're deep in the weeds and really hanging on to whatever it is that you believe. And someone asks, is this really worth fighting for? And then all of a sudden you do a 180 and you're like, wait a second, that's a good question. Hmm, Maybe not. Let's save some time. <laughs> so in your organization, your VP of engineering, I'm curious, how do some of these things transpire and, and how do you integrate them into the operation of your org? like you were saying there of having the strategy, but also not losing sight of that when you get into the execution strategy, offsites, big planning sessions can be really exciting. Everybody gets all fired up. It's cool. And then it's also exciting to get to work because we're actually going to make something and make it happen, move it forward and whatnot. So how do you effectively keep those two things together as the leader of the organization when you have a big project that's coming up? There are many different sort of uh, techniques that
0: that are employed. And over years, basically, after making a lot of mistakes, we have learned, and I'll give you an example. We started this program called OKR. Google invented it. It's quite popular everywhere. But when we started and not knowing anything better, we basically had or used to have 12 to 15 OKRs per department, right? Very ambitious. Everybody will come up with, I'll do this, I'll do that. We'll have a long list of OKRs. Only to find out, basically, none of them can be achieved. There's just too much to do. And it becomes a lot more task-oriented. And again, we fall into the same trap, basically, that we just have very small, narrow view of this. And over the years, what we have now boiled down to is OKRs cannot be tasks, basically. You need to really align yourself with the objectives. So now we have three company-wide OKRs. And then based on those OKRs, we will have three department-wise OKRs, right? And we limited that. It takes some time for us to hone exactly what are we trying to achieve. But once we get there, that's a constant reminder, right? And every task that we spun up off of that is a key result or an actual plan in Jira has to check back as to which objective is it going to help, right? And that basically is a constant tie back that we keep. And at any point that lineage basically get missed, you are completely in a la land. You are not aligned to the, to the department OKR's objectives or department is not aligned to the company objectives.
1: OKRs is a fascinating topic, and I've heard good, bad, and everything in between <laughs> as far as the experimentation. And it's really interesting what you said there that in the beginning, you put everything on the list and because it was, it was exciting, it was new, and then you realized you couldn't get it all done, so you scaled it back. And now you're at three company-wide OKRs, and every department has three department-level OKRs that roll up to the company. And then any task that comes off of that has to tie back to the department OKR, which ultimately ties back to the company wide OKR. Did I get that correct? That's absolutely right. Awesome. So, in the day to day and week to week stuff, are these OKRs things you're revisiting on a constant basis with the team as a whole, or maybe in an all hands on a monthly basis or something like that? I'm just curious because even though there is tie back to there, Sometimes we can get lost again in the forest and just be focused on what's right in front of us, which is the task that was spun up originally. But if I'm doing the work on the task, how do you continuously remind me, the individual doing the work that this is actually highly important for our department OKR, which is highly important for our company OKR so that I feel a sense of commitment and obligation and want to do this because it has a bigger purpose than just me doing this task?
0: Very good question, Nils. I think one area that we struggle still, despite all the disciplines that we have, is any customer demand which comes ad hoc, which comes with a priority and need to be looked at right away. That basically takes focus away from the work that we have aligned for ourselves strategically that we need to achieve. So what we do is, one is basically there is a weekly check-in that we do within the department, and then every middle of the quarter, we have the company-wide so that we know where the, where everybody is with their OKRs and how do, do they align with the company objectives. In those checkpoints, we look at the amount of effort being spent in the planned versus non-planned stuff, right? And that's a good checkpoint, basically. If it is 70-30, I think you are okay. If we are going the reverse 30-70 or 40-60, where we are spending a lot more time in ad hoc work that has come in and not enough on the strategic, that basically completely is is a, is a sign that some somewhere we missed out, right? So there's a lot more on the table that need to be fixed before we can we can move ahead with our strategic stuff.
1: And that was on a weekly basis that happens where you're looking at that where the work is being planned versus actual. That's right. That's fantastic, and it and it takes that level of detail being on a weekly basis checking am I on track or off track? There's a great analogy that. You know, we all think that planes fly from one one location to another kind of in a, you know, a straight line or at least follow the flight path, what can be considered a straight line, even though it's usually curved. However, what's actually happening is that they're going and constantly adjusting and constantly changing based on all the inputs they have every couple of minutes and the satellites and the GPS and the positioning. And it's all directing them to get to the end result so it looks like it's a nice, smooth line. But really, there's thousands of little minor corrections that happen along the way. And that metaphor just kind of came up as you were talking about that because that's the the structure and the operationalization to put in place is to look at this on a weekly basis and see, are we on track or off track? Let's adjust. Are we on track or off track? Let's adjust. It can feel a little mundane at some point, but it is critically important because otherwise, you just won't know if you're off track. (laughs) let's talk about from a leadership perspective inside your organization and just you've shared with us some of your core philosophies i'm curious for when you're looking to hire or bring in leaders from the outside or promote from within what are some of the most important characteristics that you've seen be the most successful in your organization that people embody that are going to be things that the audience can take away as like you know those are great areas to focus on if I don't happen to be already a rock star in that particular area.
0: I'll tell you two parts, basically, where we've seen people come in and we find more of these skill sets and where sort of what we value, right? Most people that that we go after or we look at, they seem to concentrate a lot more about their expertise, right? The area that you're good at, right? And I think what we look beyond is the ability to collaborate. We live in a world where a lot of information is spread around us, right? So knowledge or the skill is probably, arguably is is slightly less important because you can gain that if you know what to gain, right? So the ability to grasp and grasp fast, ability to, to adjust to the environment you are in and to work in those ways and to collaborate with others because you can't win it alone, right? It's a teamwork, we have to work with everybody to get to the right mix that we can deliver in time, right? So given all of this, basically, we want people who can think multitude of, of times faster when it comes to execution, predict the failures, right? Where will it not fit? And then who all can you talk and pre-inform them to avoid the failure, right? So collaboration becomes that one skill that becomes extremely important. People who can, who can sort of figure this out will be a lot more successful. And this goes across the board in all directions. So that's one. Second is basically fearlessness, right? You can't be sort of worried about this. I've never tried this. I've never done this before in my life. Or what will happen if this fails, right? Reduce the amount of exposure that you have, but then you take risks, right? Fail fast. Figure out the ways to fail fast, but you fail. Because with failures, you learn what doesn't work. And then what remains is basically what will work, right? because failures are inevitable whether you 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 shy away or or sort of uh, take it on right the best way to innovate is basically fail fast and then move to the right ones right so you have to have that 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 mindset that failure is okay right you can't be overprotected every every single time so those are the two main skills basically collaboration
1: and fearlessness that stand even above and beyond capabilities that's a really good point that the skills of the job might be overshadowed by that collaboration and fearlessness. And if you have collaboration and fearlessness, but you don't have all the skills for the job, you might end up being even more successful than if you had all the skills for the job, but not necessarily the collaboration and fearlessness piece. And I think that's a really important one to keep in mind for anybody in any leadership position is what are you really looking for? Not only yourself, but also the others in your org. And when you bring in leaders into the organization, what are those core elements just like Shalesh shared with us here? Cool. All right, so Shalesh. Last question. And let's say that you had an opportunity to take a little trip back in time and sit down with yourself in that earliest days before you even started your company with your friend. When you were at individual contributor level, you were a senior architect and you know everything that you know now. What advice would you give to your younger self? Take chances, take, take risk. And the earlier you take risk in your life, lot more
0: you can, you can gain without losing much. When you are 20, you have nothing to lose. Go make it happen, basically. And and worst you have is you'll be left with a lot of knowledge, basically. You may not have success, but a lot of knowledge that you would have done. I ventured a lot, basically, myself in many of the different areas. My approach was very, very protective, right? I, I did not want to lose. And that was wrong, basically. Go all out. Take chances. I mean, start with the how do you boil an ocean, right? Go for it, right? How do you solve world hunger? you can do it, right? And especially when in 20s, what are you going to lose, right? Especially when, I mean, we live in these countries where your daily bread is not really linked. You will basically be fed
1: somehow or the other, right? You will find a place to sleep. So what do you have to worry about? That's very powerful. Uh, Love it. And wonderful advice. All right, Shalash. well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your expertise, your experience, your insights, and your advice with us. Really love everything that you're doing that you stand for. Agree with so much what you said, and it was a fascinating conversation. So thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Thanks for the opportunity, Nils. It was great to talk to you. My pleasure, Ann. All right, I'll take care, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.